coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Tuesday to you. Emotions yesterday really high inside Atlanta City Hall as more than, well, I think it was 300 folks and a 100 or more more that didn't even get to speak to Atlanta City Council yesterday. Line the corridors. How did the Atlanta Journal-Constitution term it? Swarmed, descended, all these theatrical and uh, lethal, weaponized sort of terms. Yeah, everybody that came to speak to Atlanta City Council yesterday about the Atlanta Police Training Facility to be built in Southwest DeKalb spoke in opposition to the Atlanta Police Training Facility, a.k.a. Cop City. All of the folks that spoke, more than seven hours, not one person spoke in support. And yet, what was the other headline I saw on today's AJC? Uh, as they tried to cover this story, it wasn't so much about the uh, the swarm descending on city council or that it was 300 to none speaking in opposition to, as opposed to in favor of, Cop City. No, the headline in the AJC today was, Council introduces proposal for $30 million contribution to training center. Not police training center. There was room in the headline for that, by the way. I'm looking, I'm looking at the font. Mm-mm. Council introduces proposal for $30 million contribution to training center. Training Center Challenge appealed to Superior Court of DeKalb County. Atlanta lawmakers request DOJ investigation into shooting death of Training Center protester. That was the collection of headlines and not the 300 to none speaking as citizens in opposition to the Atlanta Police Training Facility. And I really want to harp on the term citizens because those that spoke out yesterday... Most were from Metro Atlanta, including Marcus Coleman. And since the president, I was saving this for last, but since President Shipman is engaged in some sidebar, President Shipman, many of us have had our eye on you for a very long time. We kind of felt it was odd that a Caucasian male in the birthplace of Dr. King, the home of the civil rights movement, would be the one spearheading the Human and Civil Rights Museum. But then after that, sir, because understand you got a lot of powerful friends, some of them are even mentors of mine that don't really take kindly with me being up here. I'm not sure exactly what job you took on after that, but I know that you ran for the president of the Atlanta City Council without ever holding a seat. Sir, the word on the street is that you are the next great white hope. The word on the street is that you will challenge for the mayor's seat and become the first Caucasian mayor of this black Mecca since 1973. And with the fumbling that this current mayor is doing i think he's helping to pave your way sir i say that to you mr president because as a man that's watched you i expected you to have a voice of opposition against something that is considered a human rights violation considering you were at point of the museum here to mayor dickens many of us were hoping that he would 
not watch this from the safety of his, or let me retract safety, from the comfort of his own office. You know, considering he said that members of that task force didn't feel safe, which technically it should be those of us in opposition, considering what happens to those in opposition by the name of Tortugita. You know what pisses me off? Here we have a black mayor in the city that's too busy to hate that if you go out this door and take two left turns, you trip over 15 homeless people. Instead of, ex instead of ordering the Department of Transportation to put boulders under the underpass to block homeless people from shelters, maybe you all should be worried about things a little bit differently. But, you know, some of my comrades who touch the mic, they, 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 they don't really want to say it. Um, here in Atlanta, I'm so glad I got some time because usually they like to cut my mic off in places where I go to. <laughs> um, <clears throat> here in Atlanta, shout out to the four individuals of council that did not vote yes for that little backdoor deal. No, I'm not, not, we're not going to Cop City yet. See, it started before then. On that little backdoor deal where Mayor Dickens undermined his predecessor and whole community by reversing and opening ACDC. You guys do understand that your legacies are going to be tied to mass incarceration and the fueling of the militarization of police departments all across the globe. Because let's be honest, there just won't be APD that gets trained here. There'll be other cities, there'll be other states, and there'll be other parts of the globe. Even though we don't want Cop City, period, Miss uh, Councilman Norwood, I mean, when it first came up, hell, since Buckhead's been having so much problem, why didn't y'all put it over there? <laughs> now, for the record, be clear, we don't want it, period. But it's interesting where you chose to erect. Listen, man. <laughs> black leadership. We got a black mayor that's a political pawn, a puppet for the police foundation. Those of you who have signed on fall in that same vein, but a hop, skip, and jump down the street. We got a black sheriff here in Fulton County, and I work closely with the attorneys for LaShawn Thompson. I work closely with the advocates for LaShawn Thompson. We're looking forward to the Colin Kaepernick-funded autopsy that will be out in less than a week. 330, 330, 381 acres, 90 plus million dollars. But then we also have a black sheriff that's advocating for $2 billion to build a new jail. What the hell kind of Atlanta are we living in currently? Huh? All these black faces up here, how in the world can black leadership? I appreciate my Caucasian comrades for coming down, but right now this is a black conversation. How in the world can black leadership, Mr. Bond, I wonder what your father would think about the way you're acting up here. Hmm. When we first came here, we heard about the celebrities, or not celebrities, excuse me, the, 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 the second and third generations, because we got a lot of history here. Here goes a mayor that is applauded for the midnight basketball program. Anybody heard about this? 
Well, here's a message to the mayor. You can't shoot hoops at midnight with the poor inner city youth. A mayor that graduated from Benjamin E. Mays High School the same year I did, but not Benjamin E. Mays, I went to Westlake. You can't shoot hoops at midnight, then wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and then go to the facilities that will either house them or another facility that is going to be trained to kill them. It is disingenuous to say the least, contradictory and hypocritical. To put it more plainly, why in the hell are we up here at the Atlanta City Hall speaking about a militarized police training compound? You know why? Because it's a direct response from how we were in the streets in 2020 and we turned this state up like it never been turned up before. Then the governor. Oh, let me just, I only got two minutes, let me finish. They want you to believe, they want you to believe that this 40-person task force, they want you to believe that they're going to come up with this revolutionary training packet, and then they want you to believe, this is, this is what we're up against, and then they want you to believe that that training packet is going to be implemented into APD, and it is going to ripple all through the training, training facility, and it is going to eradicate what we know as police culture. You can't train in or out of police culture. The sister just spoke about it. Policing is the offset of the patty rollers. And those of you who are black who are co-signing this, you're no different than those on the plantation that will point out your brothers and your sisters when they were trying to leave and go for somewhere better. Overseers. But they want you to believe that this training, they think they're doing something right. You see, see, crime is really down, but fear is up. Mm. And these people think that they know what's best for you and I. But here's the counter to that, Bron. It's over street. You ain't changed NAM policy as it relates to the, to the uh, uh, peace officer standards and training, better known as post. You ain't changed NAM law on the books. People talk about qualified immunity, but that's only for civil action. You need to be talking about uh, uh, a sovereign immunity that deals with criminal. Y'all ain't changed NAM law on the books and the governor has signed executive orders and other pieces of legislation that have passed building protective barriers around police. So y'all tell that bull jive, that malarkey, and that tomfoolery to something else and stop Cop City. Thank you. Next will And as you, you hear cheering happening in the background there, of course, uh, that really was discouraged. Uh, President, uh, City Council President Shipman threatened on an occasion or two to clear the chamber if that sort of outburst were to happen again. But that's what's going to happen when everyone in the room that's not in a City Council chair is against what the City Council is hell-bent on doing despite the overwhelming and a abundant opposition from citizens to do. Again, a reminder, the narrative all along for those proponents of this new training facility tell you that uh, the folks who are protesting are outside agitators. That term sound familiar? Civil rights activists? That they're not from Atlanta. They're not from Georgia. The overwhelming abundance of those arrested aren't from Georgia. We've heard whispers about 
Well, they're letting the local ones go, actually, and only arresting the out-of-towners. We've heard that. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's fact or versus fiction. I don't have arrest records, and obviously, if you're not arrested, there's no record of you being arrested in the first place. That's just kind of like an eyewitness account sort of thing. But Marcus Coleman, Atlanta. Tim Franzen spoke next. He's from Atlanta. Dr. Jackie Eccles. That sound familiar to you? She was on this show. She of the South River Watershed Alliance. All spoke yesterday, and among the 300 who spoke in opposition to a new Atlanta police training facility. Not just where it is, but that it would be at all. I'm going to give you the video. Uh, there's two parts of this. That's how long it went yesterday. I'll give you both videos from Atlanta City Council's YouTube page. Put that in today's show notes. And, I mean, if you've got seven hours, by all means, knock yourself out. And as long as that video remains up, you'll find exactly what I did. Overwhelming opposition to the Atlanta Police Training Facility, despite what local media headlines will be telling you. Back after this. We're all waiting with bated breath. I don't know why. We're all waiting with bated breath for Ron DeSantis to announce that he's going to run for president. I mean, he's going to run. There was a there was a bus wrap that was spotted. I mean, he's not really, his people aren't really good at keeping safe. There was a bus wrap that was spotted recently on a bus that all but spelled it out. Uh, he's uh, already setting up shop in uh, a few states, in, including in, in the state of Florida. His campaign office has been leased not far from the state capitol. And yet, when it hasn't even been announced yet, it's already in trouble. And we've seen this throughout history where campaigns that look like the next sure thing never amount to be. I mean, Howard Dean is the one that comes to mind most famously. Uh, how about Jeb Bush? Remember, Jeb Bush was going to be the guy in 2016. He was the heir apparent. Although there was, rightly, some pushback about another Bush president. I mean, the last Bush president was just an utter disaster that hung, uh, hamstrung us for decades, literally two decades, in mired conflicts that were unnecessary for us to be involved in. Trillions of dollars blown on that blunder. Oh, and he let 9-11 happen on his watch, despite getting the presidential daily briefing that said it was going to happen in the first place. And I haven't even brought up the housing crunch, the housing crisis, the recession he left us in. So, okay, I get why we weren't exactly warm to another Jeb Bush presidency. But Ron DeSantis hasn't even announced yet and his candidacy is already mired in failure. Why, you ask? Mm, well, there's a lot of folks within the GOP who think, we need a smarter Trump. We need somebody as dastardly as Trump, but more polished, like a politician. And so Ron DeSantis is kind of that, except the MAGA base ain't buying it. If it ain't Trump, they won't be lapping it up. You know, my cats like wet food first thing in the morning, right? If I don't get the frisky shreds, it's a fight to get them to eat anything else. It can look the same, smell the same. I have no idea that it would taste the same. If it ain't frisky shreds, I don't know how those little whisker biscuits know, but they know, and they're not into it. It's that simple. And listen, I can't just blame the GOP for this thinking, oh, let's just get a more polished, well-spoken version of Trump and that will succeed. You know what? The left has been afraid of that too. We've all said 
what if the next Trump is just as evil and smarter than Trump? I, for some reason, there is that MAGA base. And then we were talking about, I don't know, 40, 35, 40% of the GOP. And again, it might be enough to coalesce in an open primary with so many candidates running against him. It might be enough for him to win states without winning 50% or plus. That's what happened in 2016. He never had the majority of the GOP on his side until he was essentially the last man standing. He was, it was a fait accompli that he was going to win. But there's always going to be that 35% or so of the GOP that's going to go nowhere else but him as long as he's still drawing breath and eating Big Macs and swilling Diet Cokes. And the ingredient is that he's not just evil as Trump because he is Trump, but he speaks like Trump because he's just as not polished as the overwhelming majority, in my opinion, of the GOP voting base. They like that he talks like them and thinks like them and is immature as them when it comes to the issues. They like that he snaps back when he is challenged or pushed back against by journalists or other politicians. Because like them, the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving, they're just going to shout you down. That's their preference. They don't want to think things through. They just want to act with the appearance of anyway, might. He talks a lot of game. And when you're president, you can talk a lot of game because you don't just have keyboard muscles, Twitter muscles. You have the might of the greatest military force in the world at your back. Well, he doesn't have that now. Now he's just kind of a whiny loser who's whinily losing in court left and right. But even that empowers his base to think he's he's a martyr, he's a victim, he's a target for all that's wrong in this country, that he's trying to save the country, their idea of the country anyway. The Wally and, and, and Ward Cleaver era that never really existed in the first place, but that's the era that they think that he's out to protect. Trey Crowder, redneck comedian, right? He's out on tour, didn't get to see him in Atlanta. Someday, one day, when my schedule isn't completely busy. Anyway, he kind of explains why Ron DeSantis isn't working. Ever since Trump became a thing, this narrative has emerged. People are like, hey, you think this guy's bad? Wait till the next wave. Wait till the wave of conservative politicians who are like Trump, but competent. That's when we're really in trouble, right? And I always kind of bought that because you just knew that the big GOP, like the business papal puppet masters behind the scenes, you just knew they were desperate for a candidate like that. Somebody they could use to appeal to the mouth breathers, yep. but then steer them away from the crazy culture war stuff and stick to the truly important work of defiling the corpse of the American middle class, right? That's what they wanted. And for a while there, with meatball American Ron DeSantis, it seemed like they had their guy, but so far, Ronnie's pudding fingered power grab is off to a pretty inauspicious start. He's getting wrecked by Trump in all the major polls, and he stacked up countless L's before even formally announcing his candidacy. So, what went wrong? Well, I think that the big GOP fundamentally misunderstood their own reality, right? They were so desperate for a sane Trump that they failed to realize that's an oxymoron. In MAGA world, the lunacy is the whole thing. For the base they have cultivated, the idea of a Trump who is sane is like decaf coffee, fraternal twins, or peppers that ain't hot. What's the point here? Like, you can't court MAGA and be reasonable at the same time. That's like trying to befriend a grizzly bear with a bunch of salmon in your pants. They're going to smell it on you immediately. 
immediately and then tear you to pieces. That's what's mm-hmm. going to happen. So DeSantis is left with no other choice but to try to play both sides. You know, smile for the camera, straighten your ties, small government, cut taxes, but also boogity boogity gunshot noises, right? But all that does is turn you into Trump light. And OG Trump beats Trump light every time. Right. Dude, that's like trying to take on a monkey in a poop fight. Like, he's been doing this his whole life. And even if you hit him a time or two, you're probably going to feel gross about it. And he's just going to get more fired up. you got mm. no chance, man. Right. And that's not the only L Ron is staring down the barrel of because he committed one of the cardinal sins in the world of big litigation. You don't mess with the mouse. Right? He overstepped with Disney. And I think it could cost him with the base because... As ironic as it may be, they don't like losers. They want somebody that's going to own the libs, not get hucked up by Goofy and them. So Ron's in for a rough time, I think, and I don't know why we're surprised. I don't know why we took it for granted that something from Florida would catch on nationwide. I mean, it's not like Four Loco and Jean Shorts are American mainstays. Am I right? (laughs) But I know it's early, and he's got plenty of time to turn it around, but, like, I don't care. Like, I know I'm voting the opposite regardless, you know, so I'm just here to lap up some of that sweet, sweet schadenfreude along the way. That's all I'm saying. Back after this. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. And by the way, not that I want to spend the entire show today harping on Trump, but uh, this is going to be a short segment, and this kind of fits in that segment perfectly. Special Counsel John Durham has concluded, in his mind, that the FBI never should have launched a full Trump-Russia probe. I'm going to harp on the word full because he's not saying that they shouldn't have launched an inquiry and looked into this. He's saying they should not have launched a full probe. Uh, the 300-plus page report, according to CNN, states that the FBI used, quote, raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence to launch the, quote, crossfire hurricane investigation into Trump and Russia, but used a different standard when weighing concerns about alleged election interference regarding Hillary Clinton's campaign. Two things to remember about John Durham. He was appointed by then-Attorney General William Barr in 2019. Bill Barr did a lot of looking the other way himself while the AG and the de facto (laughs) taxpayer-funded lawyer for President Trump when he was President Trump. This also from CNN Politics. Durham's findings that the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign should not have happened are at odds with a previous Justice Department Inspector General investigation into the FBI's Russia probe, which identified problems with the investigation, but concluded in December of 2019 there was sufficient justification to open the inquiry. All right, so I'm going to read for you a fantastic thread penned, or I guess we should start saying thumbed now, by... Barbara McQuaid, she is a University of Michigan law professor, a former U.S. attorney, MSNBC legal analyst, and uh, writing the forthcoming book, Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. Her thread is pretty concise, and she writes, Durham report is in. After four years, review of 1 million documents, 490 interviews, his conclusion is that the FBI should have opened a preliminary investigation instead of a full investigation in 2016. Yeah. See, the media is not reporting that, that John Durham said what the FBI shouldn't have done was opened a full investigation, but should have at least begun with a preliminary investigation. And there's a difference. McQuaid continues, the difference between a full investigation and a preliminary investigation is the duration and the authorities that may be used. This is a hair-splitting quibble and one in which FBI officials routinely disagree. 
Durham also minimizes the reasons FBI was alarmed enough to open a full investigation in 2016, based on information received from Australian diplomats about Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos. According to the Aussies, Papadopoulos said, quote, Trump team had received some kind of suggestion from Russia that it could assist this process with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Ms. Clinton, end quote. Barb McQuaid continues, Papadopoulos' statement came right after the DNC hack. FBI was properly concerned about Russia's efforts to influence the presidential election. This was an investigation into Russia, she wrote in all caps. Trump had other concerning ties to Russians. Real estate deals, the Miss Universe pageant, loans from Russian lenders, Trump Tower Moscow project, campaign chairman Paul Manafort had lobbied for pro-Russian oligarchs. She continues, Trump campaign members also had ties to Russia. Mike Flynn was paid 45 grand by Russia today in 2015 for a speech he gave at a banquet when he sat next to Putin. He later lied to the FBI about his calls with the Russian ambassador about sanctions during the transition. Carter Page had been seen meeting with Russian intel officers. It now appears that he was unaware that they were trying to recruit him. Papadopoulos worked to set up a meeting with Putin. Barb McQuaid continues, Durham criticizes the FBI for relying on the Steele dossier for the Carter Page FISA. Steele was not the basis for opening the investigation, but it makes for a useful scapegoat to blur that fact. Barb McQuaid continues, We now know the FBI was unable to corroborate the Steele dossier, which contained explosive details about Russian compromet on Trump. That's 2020 hindsight. And importantly, Durham never says the information in it was false, just unconfirmed. In fact, some aspects of the Steele dossier were confirmed by Mueller and the DNI. Putin favored Trump and was working to influence the election in Trump's favor and against Clinton. It also contained unconfirmed information that could have seriously compromised Trump as president. Barb McQuaid continues, Failing to investigate these ties would have been a breach of duty by the FBI. This was an investigation into Russia, she repeats. Russia was the threat and the focus. Trump was just Russia's useful idiot. By the way, this entire thread I shared at Ron Shoy TL on Twitter. She continues, the page FISA was also based on an email altered by an FBI lawyer. That lawyer was identified by IG, not Durham, and he was properly convicted for making false statements. Mueller disregarded all aspects of the page FISA. In addition to criticizing the FBI for opening a full investigation instead of a preliminary investigation, Durham also ignores other facts and helps advance the narrative that the Russia investigation was a hoax. Like Barr, Bill Barr, former attorney general. Durham says Mueller found no conspiracy between Trump and Russia, but fails to mention the 2016 Trump Tower meeting to receive dirt on Clinton, sharing a polling data with Russian intel officer Konstantin Kilmanik, and coordinating a messaging with WikiLeaks. Barb McQuaid continues this tweet thread. Durham also ignores Trump's public statement, Russia, if you're listening, asking them to find Clinton's missing emails and the subsequent release of hacked emails hours after the release of the Access Hollywood tape. The result of Durham's four-year investigation is two failed prosecutions of bit players outside of government and a recommendation for the FBI to hire someone to oversee their FISA work. But the Durham report provides fuel for the false claim that the Russia probe was a hoax. Barb McQuaid continues in her tweet, don't fall for it. While Mueller found no conspiracy, he concluded that Russia worked to help Trump become president. And rather than report Russia's overtures to the FBI, Trump's campaign was willing to accept the help. The only winner here is Russia. 
which succeeded in its mission to get its favored candidate elected, sow discord in the United States, and undermine public trust in American institutions. Unfortunately, Professor McQuaid, not only are people not going to even bother to read your Twitter thread, they're certainly not going to read either the Durham findings, the DOJ findings from earlier, or even the Mueller report. Reading? Ugh. They're going to choose the headline they like most and run with that as fact. So I mentioned earlier in the show, it's a little hop and a skip and a jump around today, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm freshly focused on... The next election cycle, the cycle after that, the cycle after that, like the next five election cycles. I was listening to uh, Eric Erickson earlier today, laughably, by the way, just howling with indignation that Democrats are blowing off the John Durham findings. Uh, because, they're, well, because uh, for some reason they think that the smoke, we assume, led from a fire, <laughs> that there was some sort of uh, footsies going on under the table with the Trump campaign and Russia. And there were. Come on. It's, not, it's just stupid to, to argue otherwise. Remember, John Durham was appointed to investigate at the behest of William Barr, the attorney general under Donald Trump. Did we really expect him to come out with a whole lot? Seriously. It's it's like the Mueller investigation. Did anybody expect, with all the obstruction and the refusal to testify, the refusal to allow people to testify, the calls for executive privilege, did we really expect there to be enough unearthed because of all of that? No, of course not. Of course not. But Eric Erickson, I just him today, he just he just cracked me up. I literally laughed out loud in traffic as he had the audacity to talk about the left as if, well, we're okay with what Durham found because it benefited us politically. Like, Eric wanted to harp on the FBI and speak of a lack of trust in government, but his tribe's been chipping away at trust in government since Ronald Reagan was sworn into office. Also, why is it, just now that the right has some issues with the FBI handling anything. They didn't have any issues with James Comey sinking Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in the closing hours of the 2016 cycle. Huh. They didn't seem to have any issues with the FBI kind of whiffing on their investigation into Brett Kavanaugh, did they? But, but this issue, now this is, this is something that, well, we've got to do something about the FBI. Conservatives didn't want to do anything about the FBI during the civil rights era. They didn't want to do anything about the FBI when Comey sunk Hillary Clinton's campaign, and they didn't want to do anything about the FBI when Brett Kavanaugh wasn't being investigated while he was up for a Supreme Court seat. But because the FBI looked into Donald Trump's ties to Russia, and those ties are indisputable. His campaign's ties to Russia are indisputable. Because the FBI wanted to investigate that, well, now it's time to question the FBI. Why are they looking into us? It reminds me, you know, I know I know. I played a little bit of Trey Crowder earlier. He did some stand-up recently, and he was talking about how he just thinks it's funny, like his redneck buddies. Anytime he's ever hung around his redneck buddies and cops kind of roll up unannounced by surprise, his redneck buddies don't really 
don't really act right. He talks about how the very sport of NASCAR was invented by good old boys, rednecks, country boys, who were on the run from the law, running moonshine. Like, he says, NASCAR was invented by drunk driving. But now it's, you know, in the face of Black Lives Matter. Blue lives, man. I got to stand up for them, you know, back to blue. He's so right. But I'm keeping my eye on 2024, 26, 28, 30, 32. These are the cycles that matter. And the left has to stay together. And I'm really worried about the left staying together. When here on the local end, we have a city of elected Democrats and some well-heeled donors, the Atlanta Police Foundation, all on the same page about a training facility that nobody seems to be for unless they're on that council, unless they're in elected office at the highest levels in DeKalb County even. 300 citizens to none yesterday. Among them, Tim Franzen, another local activist. That's right, local activist. And, well, listen to what he said. I mean, he makes a lot of sense here. Hey, how's everybody doing? You know, I had a little thing printed up that I was going to read, but it's been a lot today. You know, this is the most, and and I got to ask y'all, I've been coming here for 15 years, but has there ever been such a one-sided public comment session in the history of the city ever? Right? I don't think, really. I mean, I was here for the Gulch, y'all. I mean, y'all didn't even cart out the normal stooges that'll just kind of say whatever the mayor wants to say. Not one. Is there... and, and I promise we're going to be nice. Is there one in here? There's not one. I don't think. I'm sorry, Marcy. I've never seen that. There, it, not one. And so I think 288 people signed up. Uh, there was an additional 100 people that took time off work, got babysitters, and they showed up here at 1230. And they waited in line for hours. And they just were bounced. They're hanging out there. They got a list, actually. We got the list to Liliana, and we didn't even get everybody to sign it, but there's like 75 names on there. Uh, I wonder if they'll get an opportunity to speak. Um, I wanted to play a little bit of that just to show you how unified those on the left actually are while the elected folks, elected by the left are in direct opposition, but also largely unified. There are those that can say, well, I wasn't there for that vote. And there's a small handful that are against funding for the Atlanta Police Training Facility or the Atlanta Police Training Facility at all. And and bravo, kudos to them. But I I mention election cycles because if the left can't trust the politicians from the left that they elect at the local level and can't get them elected at the state level, do we not think that there's going to be a little bit of what we experienced in 2016 in cities like Philadelphia? And Milwaukee. Those two cities 
saw underwhelming voter turnout in the general election and cost Hillary Clinton the states of Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. She needed to win both of those states. And, uh, well, one other in particular. But she definitely needed to win both of those states to upend the Donald Trump campaign. Now, I can sit here and talk about how Hillary didn't campaign very well in those areas. And she didn't. She sent Bernie to a lot of places that she didn't want to go. And we can talk about how she sort of dissed the Bernie Sanders movement, progressives in general. She chose a vice presidential running mate by the name of Tim Kaine, who, by all accounts leading up to that point, was a pro-life Democrat. Very milquetoast, very moderate. And not just because he was a white guy. Hell, I'm a white guy. I know a lot of progressive white guys. No, his, 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 his being picked was a snubbing of the progressive movement. And Hillary made a lot of mistakes. But she also was the heir apparent, much to the chagrin of Bernie Sanders and his backers. She was the heir apparent for the party all along. That's who they wanted. That's who was going to be the nominee. And how dare he run against her? And that's almost literally how the party acted. And what happened? The American people were underwhelmed. Folks were not excited about her. They did not show up. If folks in the city of Atlanta aren't enthused by the leadership they elected here locally, and it's pretty clear they're not happy with this one major headline-grabbing incident, if voters in the city of Atlanta the, 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 the major city in the state that Joe Biden won by a razor's edge. How many votes did Trump ask for? Under 12,000. If voters on the left in the city of Atlanta aren't enthusiastic about showing up to vote in 2024, how does the Democratic Party think they're going to hold this state? I know there are those in the party who will grouse, eye roll. Oh, here he is talking negatively about the party. I'm not talking. Neg- I'm, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm telling you what the party should be doing, and they should be better at doing. And it's reading the tea leaves, and they've not been good at it for quite a while. The ascendance of Barack Obama was a sign, and the party at the time wasn't strong enough to fend it off. And then during his presidency, look, I, I, like, I like President Obama. I, I think President Obama got comfortable and moderated a bit from some progressive ideals. But all in all, considering what he had to face, the cards he was dealt, did a pretty damn good job in the face of overwhelming obstruction from the right. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So he moderated, honestly, unnecessarily, because again, that obstruction was going to be there one way or the other. And then, and then it's almost as if like behind the scenes, he told the party establishment, all right, look, sorry, I'm really upset the apple cart. 
I appreciate your support. And and now I'm going to help you. I'm going to acquiesce a little bit and, and, and put things right with you again. And let, let's go Hillary. Right. And then after his eight year presidency, a lot of folks marginalized kind of looked at it from a very thin point of view and said, well, did, did my life really get precipitously better? Ferguson, Missouri happened. Civil unrest, police disparities, black unemployment, the wage gap, the income gap. You know, I mean, a lot of folks looked and said, well, there's not a black person on the ticket. And I don't really feel like the Democratic Party speaks to me, did anything for me. And understand, I do not speak for black voters, okay? I read what black voters said. There's a great New York Times piece that spoke uh, literally about Milwaukee from a barbershop in Milwaukee. There were voters of color in that barbershop who were like, mm, I don't feel like my life really improved that much in eight years. Were they wrong? I mean, I can't speak for them. I'm not going to speak for them. That's their anecdote. But that's how they felt. And then they weren't excited to vote for Hillary Rodham Clinton. If voters aren't excited to vote, in 2024, with the local representation giving them what they've been giving them here these last couple of years, not listening to them when they speak out in vociferous and abundant opposition to something, Democrats cannot expect them to turn out in 2024. And, and I said this when, when Joe Biden announced he was running again, you can't just run with, yeah, but the other guy. For a variety of reasons. For one, what if it's not the other guy? You have the left side of the body, Democrats, not knowing that the right side is working to get this guy indicted multiple times, and he may not even make it to the ballot in in uh, January. Uh, sorry, November of 2024. He may not even make it. I mean, I I see the poll numbers. I know where he is, but it's still kind of early. I mean, at this point in a presidential cycle, Jeb Bush looked good in 2016. Howard Dean looked pretty good. What was it 2008? Yeah, he was in good shape. No, I'm sorry, not 2008. 2004. Hillary Clinton looked good in 2008. With Democrats, it's not just the sales pitch. It's not just how shiny the car is on the lot. It's the engine under the hood. And what you saw yesterday in Atlanta City Hall is the potential for the engine to get corroded. If local leadership cannot react to the will of the people in a positive way that has those people coming away feeling like they're being listened to by liberals, by Democrats, in an overwhelmingly democratic city, then Democrats, I have to ask you, how the hell do you expect them to show up when you need them on election day in 2024 and 26 and 28 and 30 and 32? It's going to take those cycles to win back the Supreme Court. It's going to take those cycles to undo gerrymandering. It's going to take those cycles to even get close to universal health care. And here at the local level, you have elected Democrats really f***ing it up. We're already up against an uphill fight. Odds stacked against us, even when the numbers are in our favor. 
and we're going to screw it up here on the local end. Man, it worries me. It really does. <sighs> All right, that's going to do it for the Ron Show today. I am back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app and at americaoneradio.com. That's where you can hear the show first, and then on the podcast platforms, any of them. We've got the links for you and past audio as well at ronshowatl.com. Want to leave me an email? Feel free, ron at ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.